want to tell you that I didn't plan that. So um, Josh called me on Friday and wanted me to include it in the liturgy. And it's embarrassing because I send out the liturgies. And I almost told him no, that I didn't want anything um, said. But because we're an elder-led church and because I'm not in control, I have to submit to them. So, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want this to be about me. I'm, most of you guys know me well, and I hope you... I hope you see that in me. I don't. Um, I don't. I don't want this to be about me. I want the. I want it to be about Christ. And I'm not just saying that. I, I do mean that. So, uh, I'm. I'm embarrassed, but um, I, I'm grateful for your love, and so I'll receive it like that. So thank you for being so kind. Uh, wow, it's late. Um, I knew it wouldn't do any good to tell Aaron and Amy, especially Amy, and Mark to be, to be uh, short, because I knew they wouldn't listen to me anyway. So, um, but I can't, uh, we can't end the day without being in the Word a little bit. So, um, I think probably I'm going to have to preach my shortest sermon ever, which could be anything, frankly, because um, usually I have pretty long ones. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be in a couple of my favorite verses for a few minutes, if you can bear with me. I think it's really important for us to honor God today by being in His Word and that's what we've done here. Um, I always say to new people when they visit that there's, there's a lot of things we don't care that much about here. Um, there's a lot of things that aren't essential and central to what we are as a church. When Mark said that we're kind of a weird church, we're that way kind of on purpose. But at the same time, there's a few things we care a ton about. We care a lot about God's glory, which is why it's embarrassing when somebody talks about people, because we want it to be about God. Um, we care a ton about his word, and we've done that from the beginning. We spend hours in his word together on a weekly basis, really, a lot of us. And we love people. And so, therefore, our community is really important. Um, we don't do mops here. I know some of you are in mops. I am so for that, and I'm so grateful for the churches that have mops. I think that's fantastic, and I'm glad they foot the bill. Um, I'm glad other churches have Awana and Wednesday night programs. I think that's fantastic. Um, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad for, for the things that other churches have in ministries, but we felt from the very beginning here a very distinct calling that we needed to emphasize a few things over and over and over. And that what, the, what would happen over time is that slowly a nucleus would build of strong disciples, of, of people who know Christ and love Him and see Him as their only resource. And so we decided early on that even good things would need to be peripheral for us, that we would consistently emphasize the glory of God um, revealed to us in the gospel, that we would preach the Word, um, and not just on Sundays, but in small groups and discipleship, and, and that we would have a strong community, that we would love each other that we would not put up with, with shallow community. And those are the things, I think, over 10 years that God has, has allowed for us to see take root. I, I will say that that's not a great church planting scheme. It's not. I, I think, I'm not a very charismatic guy, but I, I think I know, and I don't mean like the sign gifts, I'm super glad Aaron was healed. When I mean charisma, I mean like I'm not the most charismatic person. That's what I mean. Um, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person that, you know, is, it laughs at silly jokes and, um, 
it probably has like the funniest personality. You know, like I'm pretty dry and sarcastic and probably kind of boring in a lot of ways. Like I'm not going to draw this like Pied Piper following behind me because that's just not the personality that God's given me. But, but I, think I, know, I think I know the tactics to build a church. I, I think I know what it, what it takes. I think I know how to put on a production, or at least I know how to, to put people around me who can do that. But, um, but we decided early on that that wasn't what this is going to be about. It wasn't going to be about a show. It wasn't going to be about a production. And, and if God leads other churches to do other kinds of things and techniques and strategy, that's, that's his plan, and that's, up, that's between him and them. But that wasn't what we were going to do here. We were, we were going to just, over time, see disciples made. What that, what that means is that it grows more slowly. It's a slower burn. But what happens, though, is you have deeper people. You have, you have more committed disciples. And so, um, you know, the elders keep pretty close track on who's involved, the, like, members or people trending toward membership or you know, pretty interested visitors, and there's 175-ish people probably now in the mix that are, like, kind of part of the North Point orbit. Um, it's taken 10 years to get there. There's times where I've been super frustrated about that. There's times where I wish that I was like some of my church planner friends that have, like, 2,000, and, um, but sometimes I, I'm super glad I don't because they have way more headaches than me, and, and then what's happened is there's just a lot of hangers-on sometimes in their churches, and then it's hard to, like, discern between what the real deal is and, and maybe something that's just a bit of a show. Um, I, was, I was talking, I think it was, it was to Deb Geikema, um, I think it was last Sunday, and she and I were just talking back and forth, and um, I wish I could say something about all of you today. I think she's actually in the back. I can't because we don't have time. But Deb has been a faithful discipler of a lot of our women um, it's totally God's words through Paul to Titus that she has poured her life into a lot of our younger women. But one of the things we were talking about just really briefly was that, was that well, there's so much substance here. Like, like, we don't have many people here who are just kind of playing the game. I think it would be hard to stay here if you were. It's hard to play games here because people are always asking you questions, right? Like, not just, hey, did you see Ezekiel Elliott's touchdown yesterday, but, hey, you know, how's your marriage or... You know, how's that problem you've been having with your kid where you've been, you know, an angry father? Are you working on that? Or, um, you know, how are your affections for Christ this week? Like, those are uncomfortable questions, right? Um, it, it's mirrored in the way that you guys spend time together after services. Like, you don't rush out. You pour into each other's lives. It's reflected in high shepherd group involvement. Um, it's reflected in the commitment to discipleship, either to be discipled or to do discipleship. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd rather... I'd rather shepherd along with the other elders that number of people than a bunch of people who are just kind of hanging on. And frankly, I don't know if this is some sort of like doomsday prophecy or prognostication, but, but I have a suspicion that in the coming decade or two in our country that cultural Christianity will not cut it anymore. I have a feeling that's coming. But you guys will make it. You guys will make it because I know you love Jesus. And more importantly, much more importantly than you loving Jesus, you are convinced that he loves you, and that secures your love back to him. That kind of faith, that kind of commitment, that kind of discipleship, that kind of quality of disciple can make it. And so, I could be wrong. We could have some huge revival in our land, which I would love to see, but I doubt it. And what I suspect is coming is that smaller churches that are full of vibrant disciples will have the most impact. That's what I think. So, um, so thank you for letting me shepherd you along with the elders, and thank you for your kindness to us.
wow. Um, let me say a few things. Uh, I'll go ahead and put my outline up, and um, we'll try to, to, to make sure we honor God's word today. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, a lot of you are familiar with these verses. Uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people think it's Paul. We don't know. Um, but it was a person who clearly knew God's word well, who knew the Old Testament really well, who was very in tune with the implications of the new covenant that had been revealed in Christ. And he wrote to these Christians, primarily uh, Jewish ethnic Christians, who had come to the conviction that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel, that he was the Messiah, he was the Son of God, he was the one who could rescue from sin. But as is true for all of us, 2,000 years later and everything in between in the 2,000 years of the history of the church and even before that, for the faithful covenant people of God extending thousands of years before Christ, there are things that will come into our lives which will distract us, which will sway us, and which may in fact compel us to turn to our own righteousness. And these ethnically Jewish Christians who lived among their ethnically Jewish non-believers were being demonized perhaps for their ultra-commitment to Jesus. If not that, perhaps they were being told that legalism, that adherence to certain laws would be essential if they were to obtain eternal life. And whoever wrote this book wisely pointed them over the course of these 13 chapters to Jesus and his sufficiency to save and sustain. And what he's saying again and again and again is you can have hope, but your only hope is in Jesus Christ. That's it, and that's all. It's not what you do, it's in Jesus. Now, because of Jesus saving you, there's some things you should do. Those things are not the source of your righteousness, they're the proof of it, they're the fruit of it. But he calls them again and again to trust in Jesus, and specifically, in Jesus as their faithful high priest, the one who fulfilled all the expectations of the Old Covenant. All the priests of Israel had a big problem. They were able to go make atonement before God because of the sins of the people, but they couldn't take care of their own because they themselves were sinners. So they could intercede on behalf of the people, but not in a saving sense. There was always a hunger for something better. The shadows of the provisions of the Old Testament were just that. They were not the actual real deal. There was a longing for fulfillment. When Jesus, the Son of God, came and took on human flesh and obeyed all of God's laws and died on behalf of God's elect, He now reigns through His resurrection and His ascension with the Father and He intercedes on our behalf. He is a faithful high priest who knows our weaknesses and pleads the merits of His own righteousness because He knows that we have none. And so the writer subtly is telling these people, you don't have any, Jesus has it all. You can trust Him and you must. He calls them in these two verses, first of all, to sojourn well. The writer says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer here calls the people to sojourn well. It's not a sprint. It's a long, long ultra marathon, and that's exhausting. He has gone before in chapter 11 and outlined a lot of heroes of the faith, people like Abraham and Jacob and David and Samuel and others who were faithful to God despite trial, despite persecution, despite their own sin. And the writer here in this first verse of chapter 12 transitions and says, we are like them and we can make it like they made it. We must be aware of the impediments, even good things which might hold us back and especially the sin which will keep our affections from Jesus. One of the things that concerns me is that the past 10 years have been good. We have started well, but it's just a beginning. Will we be who we are 10 years from now? Will the things of life, whether it's our stuff, Mark alluded to that, our affections, other kinds of things, will will those things become God to us? Will those idols weigh us down to the point that our affections change. Just because you're sitting here today, just because I'm standing here today, doesn't mean that you or I will be here in 10 years. So the writer, knowing that and knowing the things which called for the Hebrews' attention and for their affection and trust, calls them once again to faithful endurance. Because our sojourn is long, we must be watchful. Watchful of the things which would distract us and pull our hearts away. And we must endure well. Because there is a race in front of us. We don't know how long it is. Most of us would have been shocked if we had been told early on in our conversion uh, if we knew the stories that would come. Becoming a Christian doesn't necessarily make your life easier. and Frankly, sometimes it makes it a good bit harder. But that leads us to the second part of the verse. And I'm going to skip some things in front of you on the slides just because we're running so late. Jesus, full of love and grace, will sustain us. This doesn't feel much like a sermon, but, but I want to say to you two things. Be watchful and endure. That's first. And secondly, you can't do this on your own. You've been given a Savior. And Jesus is your faithful high priest. He's the one who initiated your salvation. He's the one who will perfect it until the end. He'll, he'll carry you to the end. And I love the middle phrase of verse 2. It's one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That makes zero sense unless you understand the heart of God. The heart of God is for you. His love is for you. And he proved that by giving you his son. And Jesus' heart is for you. And he counted your redemption and your involvement, your participation in his family so great such a weighty thing, such a worthy thing that he saw his own suffering, the sovereign of the universe saw his suffering for rebellious sinners as a joy. That makes zero sense if you don't see God rightly. But that has massive implications for the way that we understand who Jesus is. And if he saw the cross as joy, if he endured the shame of his image bearers wrecking Him and murdering Him to rescue us, then we can trust Him. And even now, He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for you and for me. And if He saw cross 
If he saw shame as joy, he loves to plead his merits on your behalf and to sustain you. And therefore, the gospel is for every day. The gospel is not for when you were seven, exclusively kneeling beside your bed with your parent, asking Jesus to save you, receiving him by faith. It is for that, but the gospel is for every day. The good news that the second person of the Trinity became the second Adam, obeying all the laws that we did not and could not keep, and taking the death that we deserved and giving us his life, and even now pleading his righteousness before the Father. The gospel is for every day. So can we endure? Well, only if we'll stick to it watchfully. And most importantly, only if we will depend on Jesus. So that's why we preach the word here over and over. That's why we encourage each other with substantive relationships. That's why we decide that a lot of things have to be peripheral. Because we have to keep our eyes on what is central. This church is about Christ. And God is most glorified when Christ is lifted most high. God is most glorified when the gospel is most clearly and dearly embraced. And so I call you as my brothers and sisters to be what you've already been, to endure watchfully the long sojourn ahead. But the beautiful part about this is that we do it together. Notice the plural pronoun in verse 1 of chapter 12. We, we do this together. We're a church. Jesus designed this with great wisdom. He knew that we could not do this as solo mavericks. But of course, most importantly, he knew that we could not do this without him. So I call you to endurance, and I call you to trust Jesus. He has proven himself faithful over the past 10 years and longer for us, and he will be faithful to us still. So may we together collectively, for the glory of God, because Jesus is worthy, and because each of you are worth it, let's endure well together, all the while trusting our great and gracious Savior. I wish I could tell you tons more, but I better quit or I'm going to have a revolt. Let's pray, and we will sing one last song.